I've entitled the Advent series, Light from the Family Christmas Tree, for I'm going to be focusing our attention on the genealogy of Jesus Christ as recorded in Matthew chapter 1, and in particular what it is that we are to learn from this genealogy. For there is a purpose for which a genealogy is included in the scriptures. They don't just appear randomly, but the genealogies are given in order to prove a point. In Matthew, the genealogy opens with a summary statement. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy begins, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David and Abraham are set forth as the two main ancestors in the genealogy. They're singled out. The question is why? Well, because the genealogy serves to demonstrate God's fulfillment of his promises to David and to Abraham. One is to demonstrate God's fulfillment of his promise to David, that David will have a descendant to sit on his throne for all eternity, that there will be no end to David's kingship. That is why of all the kings that are mentioned in the genealogy, it is only David who is referred to as a king in verse 6, and Jesse the father of David the king. There are other kings, but only David is pointed out as being a king. The angel announces in, to Mary in Luke chapter 1 the importance of Jesus being of the lineage of David, for he is to be the king that is referred to. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and verse 32, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The second purpose of the genealogy is to demonstrate the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. That is, that in Abraham, all of the families are going to be blessed as a result of Abraham's descendants. That David, excuse me, that Abraham's descendants will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now this morning, we are going to be trying to, to give a big picture, a, a real overview of the scriptures. I think that is so important to try to gain. Uh, that we, we be able to put the puzzle pieces together, as it were. Uh, and uh, the Bible can be quite puzzling at times. And uh, sometimes it appears that there are these uh, diverse stories, and oftentimes the Bible is considered that way, just a, a bunch of stories that, that come together. But these stories are actually Bible pieces that fit together, that form a great picture of what, our sovereign God is doing. I've been saved for over 60 years, and I've been preaching over 40 years, and so I've had the privilege of be studying the scriptures, and I think I've got the border down, you know? I'm at the place where my border is finished in this picture. I've got that much of the Bible put together, but now I'm working on those intersections, you know, the things that, that start looking a lot alike, et cetera. 
And so I'm working at putting this picture together. So I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. And I would like for us to be on our way together. And uh, this morning we're working on the border, all right? We're working on the, the, uh, the things that are really essential to try to understand as we look at the big picture of what God is doing. And there is a corner piece, if you will. And the corner piece of that border is God's promise to Abraham. It becomes key in the scriptures. For listen to how often it is repeated. It's given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in your and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed in you all the families of the earth will be blessed now that promise is repeated to abraham in genesis chapter 22 and on wednesday night uh, jesse cruz alluded to that promise god says to abram a second time by myself i have sworn declares the lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of all the enemies and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The promise of all families of the earth being blessed is repeated then to Abraham's descendants in the person of Jacob. God appears to Jacob in Genesis 28, 13, and behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the big picture is that God is at work and God is going to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham and his descendants. That's why Abraham and his descendants become so important for they're going to be God's instrument in bringing blessing to all the families of the earth. In the genealogy, we discover that the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is Jesus Christ. And that's why we're given his lineage, to demonstrate that he is the one through whom all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, what I want to focus this morning on verse 5 of this genealogy. As we pick up in the middle, and in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, And Solomon... The father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab. So we find out that Rahab is included in Jesus' genealogy. What does that teach us? Why is that there? Rahab's inclusion should be very striking to us for a number of reasons. <clears throat> I mentioned last week that it's unusual that, that women are included. But what is very unusual here is that this is the first mention of Rahab in any of the genealogies. <clears throat> if you read carefully the Old Testament genealogies, of which there are many, 
Her name never appears in any of those genealogies. So her inclusion here is unique to say the least. <clears throat> Rahab does not even appear in the, in the genealogy in the book of Ruth, where you would think when it's referring to Boaz and realizing that Ruth is Boaz's mother, even in the book of Ruth, Rahab's name does not appear. Who is this Rahab? <clears throat> well, Rahab is a Canaanite, a foreigner to Israel, one who was saved and blessed in keeping with God's promise that in Abraham and his descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. She is incorporated into the people of God. So in turn, she would become a blessing to other families of the earth. Through her son Boaz, a descendant of Abraham, Boaz would marry Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess. Ruth is not a descendant of Abraham. But she will be blessed. She will be delivered. She will be saved. So again, who is this Rahab? I want to go back to Joshua chapter 2 to give you the story. And we're going to have to really fly through this this morning because I have <clears throat> so much material. I hope you're familiar with the story of Rahab. But uh, if not, we're going to look at it briefly. And uh, we're going to be emphasizing Rahab's faith. The first we want to look at is the occasion of Ruth of Ruth's faith. If you want to turn me to Joshua chapter 2, uh, that's where we're going to be the rest of this morning, uh, at least in terms of things that we're going to be uh, turning to. Uh, I have a lot of other passages we're going to consider, but Joshua chapter 2 will be the main point this morning. Joshua chapter 2, we begin by looking at the occasion of Ruth's faith. Joshua sent spies to Jericho to check it out, for they're going to be fighting against Jericho. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it reads, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they wanted to scope out this city before they attacked it, for it was a powerful, strong city, walled city. And so they come to Rahab's house, end of verse 1, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So now we look at the occurrence of her faith. Rahab is commanded by the king of Jericho to hand over the spies in verse 3. There's a lot of minor details that I'm skipping over to give you the, the big picture. Rahab is commanded by the king of Jericho to hand over the spies in verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Instead of handing the spies over, Rahab protects them. Verses 4 through 7. But the woman had taken the men and hidden them. True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in the corner of the roof. So the men who were sent by the king pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as the pursuers had gone out. So she sent these emissaries of the king on a journey that was 
useless. It was a deception. She had them hid at her house all along. She did this out of her faith in God. So the explanation of her faith is, why did Rahab choose to hide the spies? Well, she understood that God had given the land to the Israelites and that her and her people would be defeated, verses verse, uh, 8 and 9. Before the men lay down, she came up and to them and on the road and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So she was sure that Jericho was going to be destroyed. As a result, she was afraid to harm the spies. Verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. She was afraid of the Israelites. And the reason that she's afraid for the Israelites is that she understands the mighty things that God has done in verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. We heard about what God has done, this incredible, miraculous work that you crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. How in the world can we stand against you? So as a result, Rahab and others became afraid. Verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. <coughs> and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. Ruth declares that the God of Israel is the true and living God at the end of verse 11. He is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. So she really came to believe in this God of Israel as being the true God. She had confidence in that God, and she knew that God had appointed Jericho for destruction. Rahab really believes and places her trust in God for deliverance, verses 12 and 13. Now, then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly to you, you also will do kindly to my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for your lives, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, that when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So she asked for her protection against this upcoming destruction. Rahab, in faith, does exactly what the spies tell her to do. If you look at verses 15 through 21, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide three days until the pursuers have returned. Then, afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, her blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. 
So they have this agreement. And verse 21 says, And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Right? So she does exactly what she's told to do because she has this faith of what is going to come to pass. The outcome of Ruth's faith. First, the spies are delivered. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built on the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And then at the end of the verse, then afterward you may go your way. Rahab and her family did not perish. The city was determined for total destruction. Joshua 6.21, then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Everything into the city was to be put to death. And everything was put to death except for Rahab and her family. Chapter 6, verse 22. Now we're in chapter 6 for the rest of the time. Chapter 6, verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Rahab and her family were preserved and continued to live. Joshua 6, 24 and 25. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. So here is this woman who was preserved. She was kept. Her and her family. She continues on and lives in Israel. Middle of verse 25. Read the whole verse. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household, and all belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day. So she dwelt in the land of Israel. Now that's where the Old Testament leaves off. We know nothing more about Rahab in the Old Testament. What happens to her, what her life is like, what her experience is in Israel. She doesn't show up again until Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Now, we're back to our uh, genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Simon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. From Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we can discover some interesting things. The first is that not only does she live in Israel, but she marries an Israelite. His name is Samuel. Uh, Simon is a descendant of Abraham. Again, Rahab doesn't appear in the genealogies in the Old Testament, but Salmon does. Salmon is an unknown figure. We know he's a descendant of Abraham, but we don't know anything else about him. His only claim to fame 
is that he fits into the genealogy. Rahab, who's the one that everybody knows about, is left out. That's interesting. Why? Why is she included in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5? Well, lessons from Rahab's inclusion in the genealogy. First, the theological lessons to be learned. We learn that God keeps his word. That which he declares will be fulfilled. She is one of the families of the earth that is blessed by Abraham's descendants. She indeed is spared. She is saved, delivered through the descendants of Abraham. Secondly, we learn that God is at work in both the Old and New Testament in blessing all the families of the earth through his people. That's not a new concept. That isn't something that just happens when Christ comes. But that is a mainstay of the Old Testament, that God is blessing the nations through his people. And if you look at the story of Joseph, for example, you probably might know the, the verse when his brothers come to him after having sold him into bondage in Egypt and they're afraid he's going to take vengeance upon them. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good that he may preserve many people alive this day. That's not just the Israelites. If you go back and read the story, you find out that the famine was over all the earth. And it says that people came from all the nations of the earth to buy uh, grain from Joseph. He was a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's before the Exodus. That's before God's judgment. God gave an opportunity for all the nations of the earth to experience his goodness and his provision through Joseph. And I could go with story after story, but I just don't have time this morning. But that is a mainstay of the Old Testament. Don't miss it. Third, we learn that salvation comes to the sinner. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Mary, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Rahab is pictured as and is demonstrated to be morally impure. Rahab was a prostitute. And what is very interesting is, if you read the scriptures carefully, you will find out, and again, we haven't looked at this whole story, so let me just summarize it for you. We will find out that in the book of John, time and time and time again, we are reminded of the fact that Rahab is a prostitute. It is an ongoing, rehearsed statement. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute.
Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. And the city and all that was in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all in her house shall live. Joshua 6, 22. But to the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. Not even mentioned by name there. Joshua 6, 25. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. There are only two times in the whole Joshua account where Rahab's name is mentioned that we don't have the appellation, the prostitute. Only twice is Rahab's name mentioned without saying she's a prostitute. She's a prostitute, she's a prostitute, she's a prostitute, she's a prostitute. God spares this prostitute, but Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Even in the New Testament, Rahab is mentioned three times. She's mentioned here, she's mentioned in James, and she's mentioned in Hebrews. In James, she is mentioned as a model of the faith, an example of a person of faith. And again, it says she's a prostitute. James 2.25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works. The other place that she's mentioned is in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, which many of you know is the, is the section of the heroes of the faith, those great outstanding individuals of faith in the Old Testament. There are only two women that are mentioned by name in the heroes of faith. They are Sarah and they are Rahab. Rahab, this, this hero of the faith, this individual that is to be commended for her faith and trust in God and the way in which she delivered the spies. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Again, Rahab the prostitute. Why? to demonstrate that Rahab was not delivered because of her righteousness. She was not spared because she was morally pure. It is not because of the life that she lived. It was in spite of the life that she lived. She was spared because God is sparing sinners. Because God is sparing the unrighteous. Salvation is for the sinner. The one who will save his people from their sins. The second theological truth that we learned is that salvation comes to all ethnic peoples, all family groups, to all peoples of the earth. That was that resounding in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, Rahab is not a, Rahab is not a descendant of Abraham. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the verses that demonstrate that, but she's not. And we learn that salvation brings inclusion into God's people. Rahab was accepted 
as a part of Israel, for she was forgiven because of her faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Galatians says that that's what was in view, primarily. The gospel. That in your descendants, one would come. There would be a blessing to all the families of the earth would be blessed. Result in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's no male or female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The promise that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We learn as we look at the scriptures that this promise, this overall arching plan of salvation coming to all the peoples of the earth is in fact going to be fulfilled. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and following reads, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be standing before God, proclaiming and rejoicing in the salvation that he provides. A salvation for the sinner. A salvation for peoples of all ethnicities, all backgrounds. Now, I'm running out of time, but let me just get another aside. Because, again, I, I think we have a tendency to look at these Bible stories in isolation and, and fail to see how they fit into the big picture. In the gospel narratives of Christ's birth, and usually they're, they're, they're studied individually, but collectively... They are showing that this promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth are going to be blessed are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see it in the message that's given to the shepherds. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people. Not just the Jew, not just for you, I'm bringing you good news, great joy to all people. The message is seen in the visit of the wise men. We have the genealogy in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we are given the visit of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Why are they included? For they represent individuals from the families of the earth, even in the Far East. Not Israelites. Not Jews. Not even people who have the word of God. 
follow a star to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. His promise is being fulfilled. In Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to Simeon to present him in keeping with the requirements of the Old Testament law, Simeon takes the baby up in his arms and says this, Blessed God, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, for you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You've let me see this salvation which is to be for all people. This great theological truth of which Rahab, first of all, is a recipient. She's spared. Though a Canaanite, though a foreigner, though a part of a city that was set aside for destruction, and though herself morally impure, is delivered because she's a person of faith. And as a person of faith, she's then incorporated into the nation of Israel. She marries. She has a child. And this child is Boaz. And Boaz is going to marry Ruth, a Moabitess, who herself is delivered, who's saved because of her faith. God's promises are fulfilled. God is at work. You can see it in generation after generation after generation as you work your way through this family tree. And we could easily make it a series where we do just that and see the grace of God at work. That's the theological lesson. What's the personal lesson? Personal lesson is that Christ is a gift to all people. Salvation comes to the entire world. That is a main crux of the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, both to the wise and the unwise, to the barbarians, to the free. It's for all people. All people. So I ask this morning two questions. First, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Christ came into the world and offers salvation to all who believe. Have you? Have you understood the great joy that you? And I, who are Gentiles, you and I, who are not Jewish, this baby was born for us. This baby was promised 
to us. That we are grafted into these great promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We become a part of the family tree. And God is using us. You can escape condemnation and judgment. The scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There, there's no one who is morally pure. There is no one who is righteous. There is none that is righteous. No, not one, says the scripture. So Rahab is not unique. She is representative of an unrighteous people that need to be delivered. But the great news is we can be delivered no matter what our background. No matter what sins we've committed, no matter how we have lived, no matter who our parents are, it doesn't matter. It's important for us to realize that our parents are not guaranteeing our salvation, nor do our parents keep us from being able to be saved. It's about us and our own individual faith. Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you escape the judgment? Or will you perish with those that do not believe? The second question is, do we get it when it says that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed? God has saved us with the express intent that we'd be a blessing to others. People outside the fold, not just our fellow Christian, but all the families of the earth, every ethnicity, every color of the skin, every background, every foreigner, every unrighteous person, no matter what they have done, we are to be a blessing to them. And that blessing comes in many different ways as we unpack it in the Old Testament and New. But the ultimate blessing, it's not the only blessing, but the ultimate blessing is salvation. It's having one's sins forgiven, enjoying peace with God, and have the promise of being a part of his family forever and ever, of worshiping him. So it's our responsibility to take that good news to everyone. To let them know a Savior has been born. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who has been born so that people could be reconciled and forgiven. So when he came to the shepherds, he said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So what do the shepherds do? After the angels leave, they, they go to the city. They see the baby, and they proclaim to everyone who this child is, what he has done. Christmas is a time of rejoicing. It's a time of great joy, not just for us, for the world. I hope you know the joy of your own sins being forgiven. And secondly, I hope you know the joy of sharing your faith with others, that they too might come to know Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
and experience the true joys of Christmas. Rahab. Rahab. The mother of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. Last statement. Our children can be a blessing to this world. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and teaching them that they are to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Salmon's only claim to fame is that he's the father of Boaz. Maybe our greatest claim to fame will not be what we do, but what our children do. Let's pray for them. Let's teach them. Let's be an example before them, even as a salmon married a Rahab. So then Boaz marries a Ruth, a Moabitess. May we model God's acceptance, God's forgiveness, God's inclusion. May we rear our children to share their faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great goodness and grace to us. And Lord, we pray that we can identify with Rahab and acknowledge how good you are to us. Thank you for sparing us. Thank you for saving us, not because of our righteousness, but because of a faith. And Lord, the way in which you have worked in our own lives to bring us to that place of faith. Lord, help us to see and not be end users of the blessings of salvation, but help us to see how we've been entrusted with a great, great privilege and duty and responsibility to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Lord, help us be mindful of that this Christmas season. Uh, Lord, uh, give us a heart for the lost. Give us compassion upon people, no matter what their background, no matter what their lifestyle. Help us to realize that Christ came to save sinners and peoples from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. Help us to celebrate Christmas without understanding. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.